Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrolinson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Sarah Dennis. Sarah, a very warm welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, you appointed in my direction by my husband because you used to work with one another, but no longer. Tell me, what is it you're up to at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So when I met you, when I was working with your husband, I was working in a corporate job in the city of London. And now I own two independent bookshops, uh, one just south of Oxford and one in, in the Cotswolds. So I've had a bit of a change in my life in the last few years and I haven't looked back, to be honest. So bookshops, that's quite a, a, a far leap from the corporate world in the city. Tell me what happened in between. Yeah, it's a massive leap. Um, okay, so I I fell into banking, I fell into finance, I studied maths at university. And at that point, career advice, looking back on it, wasn't particularly helpful. So in in my degree, I remember going to speak to a career specialist and they basically said, OK, so you're doing maths, so you basically want to be looking at finance, accountancy or teaching. And that's basically all they said to me. I subsequently found out that with my qualification, I could have done really cool things like worked as an animator on Shrek or, you know, on, on, on films like Shrek and all this really amazing stuff. But nobody thought to mention that to me. And I didn't know enough about what my skills were and how they could be applied. So I, I decided to do a master's, which I hadn't planned on doing. And um, so I had an extra summer holidays. So I applied for a, an internship. I applied for a few of them. And I got this, this job with um, UBS, the investment bank, the Swiss investment bank. Uh, and kind of just, I, I kind of turned up on the first day, did 10 weeks there and it was fine. You know, the job was all right. The people, the people were lovely and I had a great time in London. Um, and I got to the end of the, the, the internship. I always knew there was a possibility of a job offer and the job offer came to me. And I wasn't sure I wanted to take it because I'd found the job, like I say, just OK. But they offered me guaranteed graduate position. And bear in mind, this was September, the year before I was due to graduate. So it was a full year before I was due to graduate. They offered me a, um, a full time graduate position, obviously a decent salary. But then when I said to them, oh, but I want to go traveling, they said, well, that's no problem. We'll defer your entry for nine months. So not only did I have all this signed and sealed before I even went into my final year at uni, I also had some time to travel, which is something I'd always wanted to do. And I thought, well, OK, I'll do that. And um, I'll, I'll go into banking for like a year or two, you know, and, I, and then <laughs> and then I'll work out what I really want to do. But um, as, as is often the case with an awful lot of people and an awful lot of jobs, and I think finance and banking are particularly good at this, is that there's, there's always a big carrot at the end of each year, a uh, financial carrot where, where you're, in, you're in the industry and you're always working towards the end of year process and, and a bonus. And, and so there's always that kind of thing. It's like, well, if I just stay one more year, if I just do one more year, then, um, you know, th th then, I'll, then I'll think about what I want to do. 
And and my career went really well, actually. I, I was with the same bank for about 12, 13 years, and I progressed really quickly. I was um, the, the financial, I was working in, in banking when the financial crisis hit, and um, my bank was really badly affected. And I ended up being part of a very small team that redesigned an entire set of stress, me- stress testing methodology that was applied across the whole investment bank. There was only six of us that, that worked on it. So it was really high profile and it was, you know, very stressful. Uh-huh. And um, it was and it was working with some really interesting, intelligent people. But it was really hard. And it was also it, internally we were trying to shift the culture, which people just weren't interested in, in us doing. But we had to do it because things had not been working the way they, they should have been. I actually was planning on leaving quite a few years before I did. Um, but then my boss sat me down and said, look, so I basically sat down with my boss and said, I'm feeling unfulfilled. The job doesn't, job isn't what I want to do anymore. He said, okay, how would you feel if I could offer you a job in New York? And I said, okay, <laughs> I'll go to New York. Because <laughs> I always, I, I love to travel and New York's a great city. So I got relocated to New York, um, which was fantastic. And but within about six months of me moving to New York, I realised that I was basically doing the same job, but just in a different country. Um, so I was having a great time um, and you know meeting some wonderful people, but the job was just very unfulfilling. I moved internally again, um, and that got a bit better, but it was still not what I wanted to do. And then, um, and then my dad got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and. Um, he was given, I didn't know at the time, he was given about three months to live. Um, as it was, we had him for another 12 months, which was amazing. So we had this year of, you know, creating memories. I actually um, took a sabbatical off work and, and spent three months with him and mum, just kind of taking him to appointments and just really hanging out with him. And then, yeah, and then six months later, we lost him. And that was just awful. Um and yeah, he was he was six, he was in his mid sixties, so it was far too young. He had all these plans for his retirement because he recently retired, and it just really, really made me sit down and think about what I was doing because I was like, well, wait a minute, I'm constantly saying I'm not fulfilled with my job, um, and I know I didn't didn't know what else I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to do what I was doing. Um, so I, I worked with a career coach for a while, and they. I realised when I was working with them that I was really institutionalised because they um, at one point asked you what my dream job was and I described the exact same job I was doing, but in an office with beanbags. Um, so <laughs> it was um, it, it was very clear that I couldn't get my head around doing anything very different. So I, I was in a fortunate position. I had some savings, so I actually quit my job, gave up my apartment. It was a rental apartment, put all my stuff into storage and travelled for the best part of a year. Um, and during that time, I, I just basically did this whole process of elimination where I was like, what stuff do I not want to do? Because the thought of thinking of what I wanted to do was just too broad a concept. I just couldn't get my head around it. So I did this funneling technique, which I'd you know, applied a lot in work. And I never realized I'd, I never thought I'd be able to use it in my personal life. But it was really helpful. It was like, you know, I don't particularly want well, I knew I didn't want to work in finance. I didn't want to work um, with particular types of people. I knew I wanted to be doing something that was I felt added value to society, something that I enjoyed, something that gave back to people. And I just, I don't know how I got to it, but um, I suddenly got to the point where I felt like being in some kind of customer facing role would be really good for me. And books have always been my happy place, all the way through my childhood, when I was studying and indeed when I was working. If I ever felt stressed, I'd always um, settle down with a book. And, And particularly when I was studying, I would 
go and just spend time in a bookshop. I'd just wander around a bookshop. I'd sit on the sofa and just kind of hang out there. So they've always been a really lovely place for me, but it never crossed my mind because of my education and because the route that I'd come through that I could do anything within that world. It just, I just didn't think I could. So I made, but I made the decision I was going to because I had a very random conversation with this couple somewhere in South America who, um, who were from Scotland. And I said, oh, I really want to open a bookshop, but I just don't think it's really viable these days. And she said, oh, no, that's not true. That's not true. There's amazing bookshops just opened in our village or in our small town that's doing really well. Um, you know, if you find the right place, I think you could, you could do it. So then I proceeded to then spend the rest of my travels researching bookshops. I went to bookshops all over the world. I've got these amazing photos. Bookshops in Argentina, in Myanmar, in, you know, in different parts of Asia. It's, it's wonderful. And um, I came back and I was like, you know, I'm just going to do it. And then I ended up, um, because I realised I'd spent quite a lot of money, <laughs> I ended up um, being offered a, a contract at the bank that your husband worked at. So that, that's when we met. Um, and I decided to go back into it. I was really worried about going back into it because I was worried I'd get sucked back into things again. But I knew that if I wanted to do this, I wanted to do it without debt. I wanted to do, I wanted to take calculated risk. I was, I'm very much the person that thinks about worst case scenario. So if I had some money in the bank and I bought a bookshop and it went horribly wrong, you know, I'll have lost some money, but I went and lost my house. I went, you know, so I wanted to have a bank of cash to work from. So I went back into the industry to, to help build my cash back up and, and was working with your husband then. And, 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 I, and actually I did that job for about 18 months and I really, really enjoyed it. It was a much more junior job than I'd done before, but, um, what happened is the management team re quickly realized that I had a certain level of experience. So I didn't have to have as much of the responsibility. I was a contractor, so I didn't get involved with politics and I was getting paid very well. So I had, I had this lovely situation where I kind of got to do the bits I wanted to do and, and not get involved with, <laughs> with the other stuff. Um, and I think the management team there were quite shocked when I, because like, it was always my plan. And in fact, my direct manager always knew that I was doing this for a short term gain in order to help build some funds back up and I remember going in and, and resigning um to them and they were fine but then I also went and told some of my key clients one of whom was the head of market risk and he <laughs> he was like what are you gonna do I said I'm gonna gonna go open a bookshop and he was just like are you crazy <laughs> and I, I think there were quite a few people in the industry thought I was because you know you're giving up quite a lot of you know things that make you quite materialistically comfortable really comfortable should I say and and it's a big risk you know but I knew that I needed to scratch that itch I need, knew I needed to, to try it because what's that was saying it's you know it's worse worse to regret the things you've done than the things you haven't done so um so yeah and whilst I was contracting um in that job or just before then I'd I got myself a part-time job at Waterstones I was also working part-time in another retail store, because I suddenly realized I had this really romantic notion of running a bookshop. I'd never actually worked in retail. <laughs> so I suddenly thought, goodness, have I, just, have I just got this really idyllic view of what life's going to be like? But I really liked it. It really suits my personality. Um, and I thought, you know what? I think this is going to work. And what also struck me really early on is that the book trade is full of absolutely lovely people. Everyone's very happy to help. Everyone's you know, there was lots of people that were willing to give me advice. There were lots of people that gave me their time without, you know, getting anything for themselves. 
and I just it highlighted to me that it was definitely something I wanted to be involved with. So you asked me one question, and I've just given you a really long-winded answer, but that's how I ended up ended up doing what I'm doing. Well, Sarah, I, I I'm in shock that you had to travel across the other side of the world to be told by uh, a lovely Scottish couple <laughs> that you can do what you want to do. Absolutely crazy, and I can t- I can picture exactly where I was sat, exactly uh, you know which 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 place it was, but it was. And in fact, I I now know the woman that owns the bookshop that inspired me without me knowing them. I've still not been to the bookshop because it's it's a bookshop um, up just outside, just come just south of Edinburgh, I think. And I meet this woman regularly at networking events, and she's she's now she she's heard the story, and she's like, "You've got to come to my shop." I, I will at some point, but it's really strange that I now know her. So. Let's just sort of piece this together because I do feel like it's a bit of a jigsaw that you you said you fell into the finance, you didn't have particularly good advice early on and, and that could have sent you on different paths had you had someone at that pivotal moment who had more to offer than the three areas of finance accountancy or teaching that there were lots of other careers. And it could be that that's happening now, I don't know, but it is a case of you then went through this funneling technique and you said initially you were looking about what you could eliminate, but actually you were, you said not finance, but then you listed all the things that you did want, which was really yeah. interesting that you, you very quickly moved towards what you wanted instead of away from, which was, which is really fascinating. Books are your happy place. And I'm with you on that. You know, books are my happy place too. And I will always go and sit in a, a bookshop and just, lose hours of time and love it so tell me about these calculated risks and how it was just money at the end of the day because you had the experience of what was really important with your family tell me about why the books over everything else and the calculated risk wasn't really a risk was it well it felt like a risk because I mean I suppose looking at my position now and looking back on it, I was single. I didn't have any dependents. I had some money in the bank. So when you look at it like that, no, you know, I was in a good position. I didn't have people relying on me. So actually, if something went horribly wrong, then it was only me that had to deal with it. But I mentioned earlier on about feeling institutionalized. And it's ridiculous to me now um, how worried I was about walking away from, from that industry because, but I was... I remember having so many conversations um, that I just couldn't get my head around. You built your lifestyle up to such a level. And I wasn't particularly extravagant, but just the nature of if you're getting paid a certain amount of money, you you make decisions. Like I lived in a very nice apartment and I just always talk about how much my haircut used to cost. It was crazy in New York, you know, just things like that. But it's just kind of what you did because your network was such that they recommended places like that so you just went to them and then so suddenly your expectation or understanding of what's a lot of money really is very different to 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 a lot of other people so what I was nervous about is I was just nervous about how I would be able to kind of enjoy my life and 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 be happy and be able to still do the things I want to do because I'm love to travel and it was really important to me that I'd be able to still do things like that spend time with my friends and family um, whilst you know adjusting my financial situation so much you know, what I did by going traveling is that I 
I basically kind of reset everything because I actually travelled on a bit of a budget, not a massive budget, but, you know, obviously a lot less than I've been living on. And so what that then meant is that I could reset. So when I actually ended up coming back to the UK, it also helped that I'd been living in New York and then I came to the UK again because that meant that it was it was another reset. It was like, okay, so now I'm starting a new place. I knew what I was going to be paying myself once I got my bookshop. So when I was earning this contracting job, I only paid myself that salary. So I started to make this adjustment. Um, But it felt, I mean, it felt like a big, it felt like a big thing to do. It felt like a, it felt like I was worried that I was going to walk away from everything I built up, you know? What I now know, obviously, with retrospect, with the power of hindsight, is that a lot of the, the skills I built up doing that, I now apply in my existing job. You, know, you wouldn't think that a stress testing analyst would be able to have similar, you know, similar um, responsibilities or, or skills to, to a manager of a, or an owner of a bookshop. But actually, there's an awful. I, it's not. I'm not just an owner of a bookshop. I, I run a small business. I run a couple of small businesses and that involves an awful lot of things it involves project management it involves finances it involves a whole bunch of stuff that the skills that I'd developed previously but at the time I just thought I was just throwing it all away I thought I was just going to walk away from all this stuff I I'd spent so long building up so it felt like a risk it felt like a difficult decision but looking back on it it was the right you know it was it was fine and that fulfillment piece that you said that you sat down with your boss and you said, I'm not feeling fulfilled. And he thought, okay, well, let's take you across to New York. And then you realized it was just the same, same job, different four walls. And you know, that actually your vision was again, the same job. If you were then thinking what you really wanted, but with beanbags, you know, a trendy <laughs> office <laughs> as opposed to a more corporate environment, so more color and stuff. But when you actually focused on those positive elements that using your funneling technique and you said you wanted to add value to society you wanted to enjoy what you did and you wanted to give back to people tell me about the fulfillment piece now the thing that I love about my job now is that when we we sell books yeah so, so we're a shop but we we pride ourselves in being so much more than that we are so community focused we have really strong relationships with a lot of our customers from all, you know, all ranges, all backgrounds. So the pandemic was a great example of that. You know, there were people that very elderly were ill that we knew didn't have people around them. And we ended up being their support network during lockdown. I had a really lovely experience less than a year after I started took on the shop where a man came into the shop and he was looking for um a particular book and it was something to do with dealing with grief and we just started talking and um and it turns out he was in town he didn't live in town it turns out he was in town because his mum had just died and he was he was there for the funeral and he wanted this particular book that he'd found really useful that he wanted to give to other people and we started talking and it turns out it was actually the anniversary of me losing my dad that week as well. So it was all quite emotional. But we, ha- we ended up having this really long conversation about loss and about bereavement and about the people that are important to you. And just it was it was most it was it's a conversation that still moves me to tears now thinking about it. 
and he went off and and um I at the time was blogging as part of my shop so I, I I'm I'd always done quite book specific blogs because that's what my previous predecessor had done and in that particular instance I thought you know what I'm going to just break the mold and I'm actually going to talk about something that really has affected me and I talked about this conversation and then shared it on the newsletter and, and the response I got from my customers was just overwhelming and then he then got back in touch with me he also then came in a following week week, uh, week later and bought me some flowers and just said how it had been such an amazing thing because I think although he had people around him and family around him he he was struggling to communicate with them how he was feeling yet he felt okay doing it with me because I was a stranger yeah, that's one example of so many of these different experiences we have in the shop. People come in and and they just feel like they can talk to us about things that are bothering them, things that are troubling them, things that they they might need some help with. You know, we're not qualified in any way, but there's something about our the environment that we create that makes people feel like they can talk to us, and that is immeasurable in terms of you know job satisfaction it's just you come away from a day at work where some of that's happened and and you just feel like you've done something that matters you know never have had that in my old job and is it because you you get to see the whole process so you see all of the journey that you're taking people on I mean obviously you don't see it for everyone you know you don't see the ripple effects of when someone comes in and you rec- make a recommendation of a book and then that goes on to change their life I I had a episode back in episode 15 so we're right at the beginning of this podcast and it's called books change lives and we had two lovely guests and they talked about it was Beringer and Vicky and they talked about what their particular book meant to them and what it's gone on to change how it's gone to change their life you're talking here about the ripple effects and I talk about that a lot in the show about how people listening to these conversations are going to go on and do things that I may never hear of some people reach out and they say okay I recognize that was a catalyst I just want to say thank you and this is what I've done since other people might never realize that you were the catalyst to an onward journey for them yeah, uh, that's pretty amazing. And especially having kind of been at the receiving end of that as well, because there have certainly been certain people I've spoken to, that couple in South America, and, and there are various other people that I could name as well that I've just had a random conversation and, and it's really made you think. To have to know that just by being open and talking to people about your experiences and, and what you what you've realized and to know that that could then have a really positive impact on their life is just amazing. Even towards the end of my time in my corporate career, when I realized that I was just very unfulfilled, I would talk to a lot, especially the more junior staff members who were, you could see they were struggling as well. And they were trying to find their, 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 their footings in, in the company. And I had lots of conversations along the lines of you need to think about what you like to do what you love to do and try and make it about that you know some people do love the financial financial world that's the reason they're there and it's the reason why they're so successful there's an awful lot of people in the industry that don't um and like I said to you earlier on it's because you get caught up in, in in the rat race but I don't know if somebody had actually sat down with me when I was a lot younger and said 
said that to me. I remember, you know, I think I was very concerned about making sure I had a good quality of life and making sure I was be independent. But if someone had said to me, do you know what? If you actually work hard at what you do, you will make you will make that life yourself, and you will you will be able to um, do what you want to do, add value to society, but also then still be able to you know support yourself. It would have been very interesting to have seen whether this change could have come in a lot earlier. So it's yeah, it's really special to think that you know potentially I could have that impact on on people. It's lovely. Yeah, it's really impressive, and. You said earlier that you would regret it if you didn't do it. You also can't regret things that you don't know and what they would have done to take you on a different journey. You can't go there either because you just don't know. It is what it is and moving forward. So having found your footings, as you just helped describe it there and, and thinking about what you love to do, what is the advice or what is the the key? Yeah, what is the key advice that you would share with people? The big thing is really just to try and clear your mind of any expectations about, especially people that are trying to shift in their careers from one thing to another. Try and clear your mind of expectations of what you think people think you should do and really just break it down to basics. Um, you know, where do you like to be? What do you like to do in your spare time? Who do you like to be with? What makes you happy? You know, what think what experiences have you had that have you've remembered you know all of that kind of stuff is the kind of thing that people need to absorb I think people get very focused on job titles and status and all that and to be perfectly honest I wasn't expecting when I first left banking I struggled quite a bit with what my identity was because I realized that a lot of people identified me and I probably did to a certain extent as being Sarah Dennis executive director so suddenly that corporate title was pulled away so it's like okay so what does that actually mean I am um indeed I'm actually going through another change now even with my existing business I I I was just saying before we started recording just today I've just made the announcement that one of my team is taking on management responsibilities in my shop which means that my role is changing again I'm going to be focusing more on strategy and business development which is really exciting but when you have these changes there's always a little bit of you know, it's that little bit of discomfort, a little bit of, okay, so what does that mean? Where am I going to be? What am I going to be doing? And will what I do matter? But it always will. You've just got to kind of find your find your route. So, yeah, I mean, I think the best advice I can give to anyone is to also give yourself time. You know, don't try and make these kind of decisions quickly. They, they don't come quickly. You know, and I think also listening to what your thoughts say when you're out for a run or you was finding the shower randomly, just when you're not thinking about the stuff day to day, these little ideas pop up. Or a lot of people say when they're asleep and then they wake up, you know, always have the, a way to write something down when you wake up. Because I think that you'll often get inspiration where you least expect it and you need to kind of listen to that or pay attention to that when it happens. I love it. And essentially, you've just reminded me of an episode, again, another episode where I recorded with Hector Garcia, one of the authors of Ikigai, 
And that's what we're talking about here. You know, the, the combination of of molding your passion with your profession, with your mission, with your vocation. And you saying earlier about, you know, think about what makes you happy and who you want to be with and, and where you want to be. And the four elements that you you think about when you're looking at the Ikigai perspective is what you love doing, what the world needs, what you can be paid for and what you're good at. You know, and you seem to finally have merged those elements into all of what you can do so yes you're not an animator for you know a particular shrek movie well who knows that could be next on the list or next on the bucket list but it is a case of of those shower moments are really key and it is because you are tapping into your subconscious you're in that sort of alpha frequency and again when you wake up you're in that mode of where thoughts are coming and absolutely write them down because they are so key they are at the heart of you know who you are and what you want and and listening to those, I mean, they say you have your best ideas in the shower. I mean, I'm, I can't stand in the shower all day because <laughs> waiting for them to come. But they do, they do come. It is that tuning out and letting things really just focus for you. And I also think that listening to people that matter to you, listening to those around you and bouncing ideas off other people, I think that's always really good. I remember my sister saying to me when I came back, I, I took a break from my traveling halfway through came home because she she'd had her first babies with my first nephew and I was hanging out with her and getting to know him and I said to her you know when I come back I think I'm going to open a bookshop I said but before then I think I might be doing like you know two years worth of charity work because you know then that's kind of a nice crossover between corporate and I'm using the same skills and she just said to me why why do you want to do that two years? If you know you want to go down the book trade, why are you going to do those two years? And what became clear from that conversation is I was just really scared about taking the leap. And so she was just like, well, you might as well do it. Just do it. Do it now. You know, don't put it off. And I think we've all got that mindset, especially after what happened with dad. Um, and I just that conversation really stuck with me as well. It's funny because I was with her for a, a whole week at that point, And we had lots and lots of conversations about lots of things. But I remember exactly where we were sat exactly what point she said that to me and it really stuck seems that you've seen again another random conversation they keep coming up but you, you do have the the purpose well you did have you have the clear purpose you've got you had the plan you knew exactly what you needed to do and you then you had the focus has focus ever been an issue for you no not really uh it's something if I put my mind to something I tend to do it um, I, I remember having a conversation, I had a one-off meeting with that career coach I mentioned. When I came back from traveling, I had one session in the bank and I, I contacted her just when I'd been offered this job, this contracting job, because I was really worried, as I mentioned earlier, about being sucked back into things. And I spoke to her and she was like, oh, you know, what is it that you actually want? And I said, well, I need some, some more money, so I, I need a job like this, but I really want it to be part-time. I said, but they just don't exist. Their jobs like that don't exist. Obviously, the whole landscape's changed since then. But at that point, finding a, a contracting job on a part-time basis was practically unheard of. And so I was getting worried about how I was going to make that happen. And she laughed and she said, um, oh, sorry, from what I've known about you, the, the small detail of the job not existing won't stop you from getting it. <laughs> and I, I remember coming off the phone being really angry I was, I spoke to my mum and I was like, what's she talking about? How can I possibly have a job that doesn't exist? It's totally ridiculous. And within six months, I was part-time working as a contractor. So, you know, I 
I've never had a problem with making stuff happen. I don't feel like I'm doing it at the time, but then you look back on it and go, okay, I've got it done. So if I get an idea in my head, I like to get there. And it is about being really clear because when you're clear, your reticular activating system knows to look for it. And it was just filtering it out before. It might've been that it was always there or it might've been that you manifested it in, in a different way because you like very specific, this is what I want. And therefore you, you, you got it. But it is funny because the expectations or the assumptions that we make are often not true. They're, they're not real. They, they are, they're not factual. So it's, it's, yeah, it's really, you've just, again, illustrated how you can make it happen when you focus in on what you want. Yeah, absolutely. And likewise, you can also make things happen that, that when you focus in on what you don't want, because you will also, again, be attracting that. Especially if you've had experience of the things that you've realized you don't want, you know, you can, you can start to dodge those bullets as you're walking along through life. So no more dodging of bullets. Absolutely. You've reset everything. You've reset your life and you've now got these two wonderful bookshops. What's next on the agenda for you, Sarah? What's the, the bigger plan? I feel there's some in there. That's a really interesting question. So a lot of people have asked me, I bought my second shop in April last year. Um, and so a lot of people are like, well, when's the third shop? Where's the fourth shop? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I've certainly got no, no plans at the moment. I think especially with the upcoming cost of living crisis, I think my focus is making sure that my two teams are working well. Um, we've, we've now got a little bit of a luxury of time with, with me kind of being able to take a step back a bit. So my focus over the next few months in particular is is getting a lot of processes in place to make sure that both the shops are, are running in a similar way. They won't necessarily be exactly the same because they're different markets, but making sure that we're doing things as efficiently as possible and that all the team kind of know what their responsibilities are. I think what happens with small businesses is you tend to they tend to evolve quite naturally. Um, and sometimes that means that different people aren't particularly clear on what they should be doing or too many people try to do the same thing. So I'm trying to get much better at making those roles clear and making sure everyone's doing stuff they want to be doing and are good at um, as well. So that's my focus for the next probably six months. Brilliant. You mentioned your shops are in Oxford and the Cotswolds. Do people have access online? Yeah, absolutely. So um, both of the shops as a result of COVID set up online um, stores. So you've got mostly books in Abingdon. So you just Google mostly books, but our website is mostly books.co.uk. And the shop in, in Stowe is called the Borzoi Bookshop, which is named after the Borzoi dog that the original owners owned. So that's B-O-R-Z-O-I. And the website is just borzoibookshop.co.uk. Both of them have got online stores, but the websites have also got information about the shops and visiting us and other things we've got going on, events, book clubs, that kind of thing. And how do you differentiate yourselves? For us, it's all about customer service. It's all about the customer experience. We know that we can't compete on price with Amazon. We can't compete on price even with Waterstones or um, even like large bookshops, bookshops like Blackwell. So that's now part of the Waterstones family. Um, until, until lockdown, we didn't have a... Um, an online shop because I just thought it wasn't worth doing. I thought it was going to be a lot of effort to put our stock on there. 
um, and no one would buy it because it was what you know you could click on our website and you'd have to pay a pound or two pound more than if you clicked on Amazon or Waterstones. Um, but obviously, when when lockdown happened, we had no choice. I had to have some kind of shop front, and that was the only way we could do it. And what we've realised is that because people appreciate what we do, they appreciate our business, they appreciate my team, they appreciate what we do on an individual basis, but also for the community, if they have to pay a little bit more so that they, that is retained for the community, they're happy to do so. So actually, it's taught us a lot in terms of, I guess, the value out of our businesses and what, what um, it means to people locally but also we we have an awful lot of supporters you know from across the country and indeed internationally um so it just yeah it, it, it was an interest that was an interesting journey that because I just I think if it hadn't been for the pandemic I probably still wouldn't have an online store well there we go the evolution of the bookshop for sure <laughs> Sarah it has been such a pleasure how could people get in touch with Anything else on social media? You mentioned the two websites there, but is there a way they can follow you elsewhere? Yeah, yeah. Both the shops are on um, on social media platforms. So Twitter, um, well, for all the Borzoi Bookshop, all of the handles are the same. So we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's all Borzoi Bookshop. Mostly Books, we've got some slight differentials. So we've got Mostly Books underscore shop on Instagram. We've got mostly reading because somebody in the States had mostly books <laughs> on Twitter. And then we've got mostly books Abingdon on Facebook. Um, both the websites also have a contact us page. And if anybody needs to get in touch with me directly, my email address is sarah at mostly books.co.uk. Amazing. Well, well done for escaping the institution and the rat race and for believing in your own dreams because you certainly have made them happen and it's been an absolute delight hearing how you made it happen today have you got some final words Sarah for the audience please I think the most important thing is to just everyone should be I know it's not possible but everyone should be striving to be spending their time doing something they love something they enjoy and something they believe in and if they're doing that, it just makes life just so much better. It just makes the time you spend at work so much more satisfying. So I can't recommend that highly enough. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.